We're asking the question, what does it look like? Where do you turn when life falls apart? Probably to their friends um, or parents or to advice from other people. I definitely think that people turn to each other, mostly their parents and family, and probably friends sometimes. Um, I think they turn to each other. Where do you feel like people turn when life kind of falls apart? When life falls apart? Yeah. To God. Um, family or friends, I think. I would say to their friends, usually, um, if they're religious, maybe to their church. The thing I think about is drugs, alcohol, sure. you know, usually the bad stuff, but, you know, there's good stuff, too. Sometimes when your life seems so meaningless, it's time to reach out and help somebody. I just pray to Jesus and hope for the best. I just pray to Jesus and hope for the best. Seems like a pretty good answer to me. Maybe we should just go home now, call it quits early. What do you think? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to let you off that easy. So we're in this series, our summer series. We're calling it Big Questions and Honest Answers, and we're finding these honest answers from the Psalms. And depending on where you've been attending for the last few weeks, you've either heard Chase or Chris Cockrum going through the Psalms and finding these incredible answers. We started this series with this question. What's the secret to a successful life? And we said that a successful life is one that's influenced by the word of God. And then the next week, how do I find true satisfaction in life? And we said, do not settle. Don't settle for those things that the world says is going to give you satisfaction, but instead find your satisfaction in God. He wants us to be fully satisfied, but he knows that we will never be fully satisfied unless it's in him. And then last week, we looked at this great question. When I mess up, what do I do to fix it? And we saw that we can't always fix the consequences. We can't always change the consequences of our sin or of our bad choices. But one thing that we can change is our relationship with God. We can ask forgiveness. And he is always faithful to forgive us. So today, today we're looking at this great question that I think a lot of us ask in life. So where do I turn when life falls apart? Where do I turn when life falls apart? Now that's an interesting phrase, when life falls apart. It, it carries such a wide range of meaning depending on who's saying it or depending on what circumstances they're going through at the moment. I mean, think back to your earlier days when you were in elementary school maybe. You were bringing home that report card that was not quite what you had hoped for. It was certainly not what your parents were expecting. At that moment, it feels like life is about to fall apart. And then, you know, fast forward a couple years into high school. You try out for the football team. You try out for the baseball team. You go out and try out for the, for the cheerleading squad, and we know that's not a sport. But, but then you find out that you didn't make the team. My life is falling apart. Or you're dating that really cute guy and, or really cute girl and you get dumped. You get ditched. I like what the Ugandan youth call it. They call it, I got chucked. That's such a great term. It, it's so much more descriptive. I got chucked. Well, I remember there was a time when I was in high school that I was dating a girl and I got chucked. And I was not happy about it. I remember feeling like my life was falling apart. That it was coming unraveled at the seams, you know. I, I was so frustrated, I was so hurt, I was so sad. I remember one night during that breakup, I was downstairs in the basement of my parents' house, and out of anger, I tried to put my fist through the wall, but the wall won. 
Didn't go well for me. You know, but at that moment, it seemed like life was falling apart. But then as life continues on, you know, we will encounter many other challenges that we look back on those earlier years and think, man, that was so easy compared to what I'm going through. Because if you stick around long enough, life has a, has a way of upping the ante, right? Like when you receive that letter releasing you from your responsibilities at work, telling you that the company has been downsized, you had, you had no prior warning, and you begin to think, so how am I going to provide for my family? Or you're sitting in that doctor's office, and you hear those dreaded words that the biopsy came back and the tumor is malignant. I mean, what now? My life is truly falling apart, if you hear those words. Or if you come across that series of texts or emails that you were never meant to discover, and it immediately breaks trust, and it begins to unravel the bonds of a marriage or of a relationship. So what do I do when life is falling apart? Where do I turn? Where do we turn when life is falling apart? Well, for thousands of years, people in their times of grief in their lowest moments of life have turned to the most famous of the Psalms, Psalm 23, for words of encouragement and hope and comfort, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Psalm 23, we've heard it, we've all heard it quoted either in part or in its entirety. Some of you may have memorized this as a part of a catechism class or a part of Sunday school many years ago, but undoubtedly this is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And I'm going to ask us to do something we don't often do. I want us to read this together. So take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23 or your mobile device, or you can look up on the screen. And at all of our campuses today, I want us to just read this out loud, recite this psalm together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." That sounds so good hearing those words. Thank you so much for saying that out loud. But I want to clarify something. The answer to this great question, where do I turn when life falls apart, the answer is not Psalm 23. The answer is the subject of Psalm 23. It's this shepherd. It's this God that David is talking about. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, what does that make him? What does that assume he is? A sheep. If I say the Lord is my shepherd, I'm what? A sheep. And if we're going to really understand and unpack this incredible passage, we need to learn a few things about sheep. So I want you to watch this video. I'm Jill. I'm a shepherd. I watch sheep. I'm good at it. Where are we going? Let's do this. What do you got? Hey, 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 this way, this way. Come on. Come on, dude. Filming. 
Not that way. Hey, hey, Steve, not that way. Not that way. I love sheep. I love you guys. Not that way. Not that way. Not that way. Hey, come here, you, you little dirt-covered cotton balls. Watch where you're going. Hey, play nice. Come on, Steve. Making a video. Not cool. I love sheep. Sheep. Come on, last one to the barns around eggs. Hey, guys. Guys, I missed you. I'm home. Hey, where you go? <laughs> They're always kidding. They're kidding. Guys. Woo! All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow. I'm gonna go take a nap. Guys. Guys, you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. Guys. Come on. I love that video. Man, we've got a great video team around here. And, uh, you know, true enough to that video, sheep are uncooperative. They're stubborn creatures. You know, um, just a few interesting facts about sheep. They have teeny tiny brains. The smallest brain of any animal their size, actually. And because of that, they lack a lot of intelligence. And they lack a lot of other things. They lack a sense of direction. Sheep don't know which way to go. They have a tendency to wander. And they also have a tendency to follow one another. So if one sheep follows something, gets kind of intrigued by something and curious and follows it, then other sheep will follow. If, if one sheep gets spooked or gets frightened by something, many sheep will get frightened. They follow each other. But they also lack discernment, particularly when it comes to finding food. I don't know if they maybe don't have a, a sense of taste or a good sense of taste, but they don't know whether they're eating good grass or eating poisonous weeds, and that's why they need a shepherd. They also lack cleanliness. I mean, many other animals have a way of cleaning themselves. We've all seen cats clean themselves for hours. But can you imagine a sheep trying to clean itself like a cat does? I mean, if it weren't for the shepherd, these sheep would be dirty all the time, all the time. And they also lack self-defense. Sheep are slow, and they're awkward-moving animals. They can't defend themselves. They don't have sharp teeth. Actually, sheep don't have any top teeth. Very interesting fact, but they only have this hard gum thing so that they can kind of gum up their food. They have bottom teeth, but they're very flat and dull. So they can't bite, and they don't have an angry growl or a bark. So a wolf comes up to them. What's the worst they can do? Bah. Okay, if I'm a wolf, that's not going to scare me too much. So sheep need a shepherd. But then why is the Bible filled with so many sheep analogies? Why does the Bible call us sheep? I'm not really crazy about that. I mean, there's a lot of other animals in the animal kingdom that I would rather be called. Like maybe a great white shark. Tomorrow starts Shark Week for those of you uh, who are interested in that. But, uh, you know, a great white shark or a lion or a bear or, or, you know, some of these things that used to attack sheep. But no, the Bible calls us sheep. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. Maybe we're more like sheep than we care to admit. And I think we might see that tonight. David knew sheep well. He was a shepherd. We know that. He was totally conversant in all of the sheep lingo. He had known shepherding growing up. I mean, while, while his brothers were at home with their father, helping to oversee the family business, David was the little kid who was always relegated to being with the animals. But he knew sheep well. And so I, I used to believe that it was at this time when he was a shepherd, when he was with the sheep, that he wrote this song. I, I used to think that... 
you know, maybe he was out there with the sheep, and then one day he got tired, and he just kind of leaned up against a nice shady tree, took out his parchment and his pen, and began to write these beautiful words. But actually, we know that it wasn't at this point that he wrote this psalm. It was much later in life. And most, theolog most theologians uh, believe that it was actually when he was on the run from his son Absalom. And if you were here last week, uh, Chase and, and Chris unfolded some of the crazy twists and turns of David's life later on when he was a king, talking about some of the choices and particularly the bad choices that he made and how that affected his life. But it was at this very low point, maybe the lowest point of his life, that he writes this incredible psalm. And he starts this psalm with this claim, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Now, if David had stopped right there at verse 1, this still would have been one of the most powerful statements that he ever made, that he ever recorded. But I'm glad he didn't stop there. But think about it. David, right now, David's on the run. He's on the run. He's being chased down by his son. He had, his life had totally fallen apart. He was, he was about to lose the kingdom, which he loved so much. He was on the edge of losing everything he knew. And what does he say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Now, I'm not so sure that he was actually making a statement as much as he was reminding himself. Like, maybe he's on the run, and then he just kind of sits himself down and reminds himself, David, don't forget, you've got God on your side. You've got a shepherd who cares for you, and you will not be in lack. You will not be lacking anything. It's a powerful statement. But as he goes on, he paints for us an incredible image, an incredible image of what he knew of his experience of being a shepherd and what he knew of sheep. And David lays out for us in sheep herders terms, in shepherds terms, what God is like. And we're going to look at that as we go through this phase by phase. Now to keep it simple, we've just narrowed it down to five or six characteristics or things that a good shepherd provides. And if you turn on the back of your bulletin, you'll see Psalm 23 written there and it just has five blanks. I'd like to encourage you to just jot down a few things as we go through this together. Or if you go on your app, it's really cool. We put this thing on the app, gethope.net app. And uh, if you go on there, you can go to this weekend service and click on that. You'll find Psalm 23 notes. And you can actually just on your mobile device just begin to um, write in the, uh, the characteristics or the things that a shepherd provides. And at the end of the service, you can actually email it to yourself, which is kind of cool. So you can try to do that. So starting in verse 2, let's look at this phrase by phrase. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. A shepherd provides R&R, rest and refreshment. I know we typically think of R&R as rest and relaxation. It could be used, but this is more specifically refreshment. But first, rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, David knew that sheep need a lot of rest. Now, they would often have to travel long distances between grazing pastures and um, as they were traveling, a good shepherd would kind of watch the sheep, and he would know when they were tired, so he would give them time to rest. He allowed them time to rest. And he also knew that they needed a, a long period of time, long periods of sleeping and just lying down in the grass for them to have proper digestion of their food. They needed to rest. But David says, he makes me lie down. So at times, this was a forced rest. And for David and, and good shepherds, when, when they would see a sheep begin to run, maybe they would get spooked by something and they'd begin to run, inevitably causing many other sheep around them to run. 
the shepherd would go up and one by one, he'd begin to force that sheep to rest. He would just push it down into the grass and allow it to start eating and they would sooner or later lay down and it would cause them to calm down and cause the others around it to calm down and to rest. It was at times a forced rest. But he goes on and says, he leads me beside quiet waters. Now, if you're a visual learner like me, Maybe you've got this picture of David walking in this gorgeous green pasture with hundreds of sheep beside this beautiful river, and it's such a tranquil scene. But David's not just talking about tranquility as refreshment. He's actually talking about water as refreshment. And sheep needed a lot of water to survive. And the shepherds knew that. But the problem was sheep weren't easy about drinking. It was a tough task. Sheep will never drink from a moving stream or from a river. They would rather die of thirst. So they had to find still water. They had to find still water. Maybe sheep innately knew that they weren't good swimmers. I mean, can you picture this? The sheep with their split hooves falling in the water and trying to tread water with their split hooves. Or if you've ever had a really heavy wool sweater and it got wet, it's heavy, right? So if a sheep was to fall in the river, it wasn't going to end well for them. And maybe they knew that, or maybe it's just their skittish nature. They're very nervous creatures, spooked by the craziest things, and apparently they were nervous of moving water. But whatever the fact was, shepherds knew this, and so they would look for still water or calm water for them to to go and drink. But the problem with still water is it was often stagnant, and stagnant water is a breeding ground for disease. So if there was no still water to be found, then the shepherd, out of his kindness, he would lead the the sheep, the flock, Uh, right to the river's edge or to the edge of a stream, and he himself would go out into the stream, and he'd begin to pick up rocks, and he'd begin to build a rock wall, a little dam, a barrier from the flow of water, and it would cause there to be a still pool, and then he would lead the sheep, and they'd be able to drink. I mean, I don't know if you can picture that, but to me that just speaks of the servant heart and the kindness of a shepherd. But he goes on to say, he restores my soul. And and before I get there, you might be thinking right now, you know, green pastures, quiet waters, that doesn't sound a lot like my life. This is 2013. My life is a zoo. And if you're thinking that, don't turn me out right now. Don't tune me out. I want to maybe describe something that better describes my life, your life. This is called Psalm 23, the antithesis. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done because my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My inbox overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressures will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Anyone identify with that? That sounds a lot like my life at times. I'm not proud of that, but I could have written that poem. I didn't, but I could have. A friend of mine sent that to me on email over 10 years ago, and I've always kept it close, and I like to refer to it often, because at times, my life begins to look more like the antithesis than it does like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. See, he makes us rest, and he knows we need rest. So if our life, if my life, if your life is absent of the opportunity to rest, maybe we need to do some reassessment. Maybe we need to adjust our schedule and allow time for rest, or God may force us to rest at times. Are are we trying to play God? 
Do we think that every situation, every problem needs us? Maybe our self-importance is inflated. We need to rest. He goes on in verse 3 and says, He restores my soul. And this is the image of a shepherd going off and restoring a lamb who's wandered away, who's got lost, restoring him to the fold, to the flock. And Jesus uses this same imagery in Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 to 14. Jesus says this, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one who wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. And I think this was the inspiration for this famous painting. Maybe you've seen this painting before, or maybe you've seen one like it with Jesus with a, a lamb around his neck. And David would have remembered times like this, time and time again, when he had to go and, and find that little lamb or that sheep who had wandered away and maybe got lost. And as he would find that and restore it, as he would bring it back to the flock, he would often carry it around his neck or in his arms. And as he was carrying it back, he would talk to it quietly, gently. He would maybe name it and begin to call it by name and, and help it to understand that the safest place was, was near the shepherd. Now, some historians believe that there was actually a practice of the shepherds in David's time when there was extreme cases of a really stubborn lamb who was just too curious for his own good, and he would go time and time again and get lost. If that was the case, some historians believe that the shepherd would find that lamb, he would take that lamb, and if it was still young enough, he would take one of its legs and gently snap it, break the leg. And then he would bandage up that leg, and for the next two weeks or so while it was healing, he would again carry it around his neck or in his arms, speaking to it gently, comforting it, calling it by name, and that lamb would learn that, man, the best place to be is close to the shepherd. You know, that may be a disturbing thought for some of you, that a good shepherd would actually harm a sheep in order to keep them close. For me, there's some kind of comfort in that for me because it tells me that God will go to great lengths to restore me to relationship, to fellowship with him. See, too often my life reflects the words of a very old song that was written hundreds of years ago. This is actually the verse of a hymn that we used to sing in my church when I was growing up. It's an old hymn, and I've never been able to forget the words of this one verse, probably because my, my life kind of reflects this from time to time. It says this, O to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. See, we have an incredible God, an incredible shepherd who will go to great lengths to restore us to fellowship, to relationship with him. It may seem like our life is falling apart, it, it may seem like God is not even there, but you have to trust that he's there and he wants to bring you back into relationship with him. He goes on in verse 3 and says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd provides direction. Remember, sheep need direction. They have no sense of direction. But we also, like sheep, need direction. Right? I mean, not just in the little things, in the big things. This can also, the, the paths of righteousness can also be interpreted as he leads me in the right paths, which tells me that we can trust God. He is trustworthy. He knows what the right path is for our life. I've personally come to realize that God knows best the path for my life. I can try to make the best decision based on all of the facts that I know, but when I feel God 
beginning to tug my heart to go in a certain direction, I, I learn to follow because I'll look back in years to come and I'll see how God just fit the pieces perfectly together. I mean, we know that hindsight is 2020, but we have to get to that place in our walk with God, with the shepherd, where we will trust his plan, we will trust his path. And why does he lead us down those paths? David says, you lead me because of your namesake, for your namesake, for your reputation, for your glory. And that's why sharing our story is such a big deal to us here at Hope. It's one of our values, sharing your story, because when you share your story, even with all of its ups and downs, it will point people to God in your life, and people will be able to see how God has been working through your life, through the good, through the bad in your life, and it will ultimately bring glory to him. But what about the times that we are facing things that we don't care to face? What about the times we feel even God leading us down a certain direction that we're not sure we want to go? The dark times. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd provides peace. He provides peace. The picture here is of a shepherd leading his flock through dark valleys or narrow passages in the mountains to get the sheep from one pasture to another. And where David would have uh, been overseeing his sheep in the area of Bethlehem, it, it was a very rough terrain, mountainous, lots of hills, and um, often hard to get to some of these pastures. But what they did is they would, they would take their sheep at night to go from one pasture to another. They would allow them to eat during the day, they would allow them to rest during the day, and then to move them from one pasture to another, they often moved at night. And that was, of course, the most dangerous time. They didn't have street lights. And, of course, more predators are on the prowl at night. So it was a very dangerous time. And on these dangerous treks, the sheep would crowd in close to the shepherd. They knew his voice. They would crowd in as close as possible to get that sense of security. And our shepherd gives us courage. He gives us courage when we're in the midst of darkness, when we're in the midst of trials, when life seems the darkest, when life is falling apart, we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. He gives us peace. Instead of fear, that would be that first natural response. Or, you know, when that fight-or-flight adrenaline begins to pump through our veins, it's the peace of God. It's the peace of the shepherd that will help us calm us down and help us to stay even in the midst of that valley, even in the midst of that darkness, because he's there. So how can we have that peace? Well, David says, I fear no evil because you are with me. It's because his presence is there. Even when we don't feel his presence, he is there. It says that he will never leave us or forsake us. But the other reason why that peace was possible is because of the two items that shepherds carried in their hand. David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The New Living Translation says, your rod and staff protect and comfort me. And in David's times, shepherd would carry two items with them. The first was this, a rod. It looked a lot like this, a little different. It was a short wooden club that was often spiked at the end, and shepherds from a young age would learn how to throw this. And we know that David had very good aim, right? So they would throw this at predators, or if they got close enough, they would beat down or even kill a predator. David talks to Saul about this in, in 1 Samuel 17 when he's about to go and fight Goliath. He says, when the bear would come, when the lion would come, I would grab it by the beard and I would beat it down and kill it. And he probably used something like this. This was a tool that was used for defense. It was a weapon. And what amazes me is that David, or a good shepherd, 
would allow his life to be at risk for the sake of these sheep. He would allow his life to be at risk. But that's a lot like our God. My God is there. He's with us. He's protecting us. We sang it earlier. We sang, our God is fighting for us. Our God is fighting for us always. We are not alone. We are not alone. Now, you probably weren't thinking of God having a club like this when you were singing that. And this is actually a Maasai Warriors club, a Maasai club from the the Maasai tribe in Kenya. And I've seen these Maasai warriors out in the Maasai Mara, one of the, uh, the uh, safari parks in Kenya. And they're walking along all alone, or they're walking just two by two, and they have nothing other than this club. And remember, in a safari park, there's no fences keeping the lions or the leopards in, so they could get attacked at any minute. But these warriors knew from a very young age how to take out a lion. And it's very similar to those shepherds. But the other thing that the shepherds carried with them, of course, and this is what we always think about, is the shepherd's staff. And it had very many uses, but one of them was for directing the sheep. They would use this end to make sure that they were going in the right way. No, 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 Steve, not there. Over here. Yeah, that's better grass. No, not there. Go down this path. There you go. And then at those times at night when they were traveling through these dark passages, through the valley of the shadow of death, if a sheep began to wander too far, maybe too close to the edge, they would take the hook and they would grab it around the sheep's neck and pull it back gently close to the shepherd so they could feel that security. But why would they even risk that? Why would they risk that danger to go somewhere? It was because there was greener grass in other places. Now, I know we always say the grass is not greener on the other side, but at times it was. Just don't tell your children that. So in verse 5, David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The shepherd provides abundance. Abundance. Now, for years, this verse, verse 5, it really bothered me because I felt like David was was changing. He was changing course. All of a sudden, he was skipping from this imagery of sheep and a shepherd to now a king in his palace with a big banqueting hall until the lights came on for me about 10 years ago when I was reading a really great book, and it helped me understand that the table that David was talking about was not a table in a banqueting hall. It was a piece of flat land, a table land. And that's the same word where we get the word uh, plateau, the French word, or the Spanish word mesa from. It's, it's these flat plateau lands, table lands, that were often on the side of a hill or a mountain. And they were tremendously hard to get to, but they were worth the effort because they were often the most lush, the most beautiful grazing fields. And that's a lot like our God. Man, he will take us through some tough things, but he knows when we come through on the other side, there's going to be better things in store for us. Better things in store for us. And the shepherds knew this. But before they would allow them to go into the field, he would keep the sheep out with the hired hands or with the with the sheepdogs, while he, the shepherd, went in and prepared the table. That's why David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the way that they would prepare is they would inspect that field, and they would be looking for poisonous weeds to make sure that what the the sheep were going to feed on was good for them. They'd also be looking for signs of predators in the presence of my enemies, looking for the enemies of the sheep. And one of the most common enemies of the sheep were actually snakes, vipers. And so as he was inspecting the field, the shepherd would look for snake holes on the field. And he took this old wineskin of oil with him. It was oil mixed with tar or sulfur. And it was used as a repellent for snakes, against snakes and and insects. And he would use this oil and he would pour it down the hole of every snake hole that he found and making a prison for the snake. And then he would 
go and he would anoint their heads with oil. David says, you anoint my head with oil. And what the shepherd would do before he would allow the sheep to come into this pasture land to feed, he would take that same repellent and he would begin to pour it on the heads and the scalps and the nose of the sheep for further protection against the, the snakes and for protection against insects. There was a common insect that they called the nose fly. And these insects, if they didn't have the repellent, these would burrow up into the nose membranes of the sheep and they would plant eggs. And then when those eggs hatched, the larvae would work their way, this is gross, I know. They would work their way up into the skull, into the brain of the sheep, and it would eventually drive the sheep mad. And to get some kind of relief or comfort from this insanity that was happening inside of them, a shepherd would often see its sheep banging its head against a, a, a big tree or against a rock. And sometimes it was too late. Sometimes sheep would even die over something like this. So shepherds knew that they need to be protected from their enemies. And they, so they would protect them as our God protects us. And they would anoint their head with oil as our God anoints us. And then he says, my cup overflows. See, often in these plateaus, in these tablelands, water was hard to come by. But as we said earlier, sheep need a lot of water. So these shepherds were amazing. They knew how to find water. They knew how to, to locate or discover a natural spring. Or if there wasn't a natural spring, they knew how to dig a temporary well. And then once they would do that, they would find these large stones that were carved, like curved stones that they would bring over to the source of water and begin to fill those up for the sheep to drink. These dudes were like MacGyver. Seriously. I mean, they could make something out of nothing. But again, that reminds me of God. God is in the business of making something out of nothing. I mean, if I could tell you the whole story of my life right now, that's my story. God has taken the simple things of this world, and he will do it in your life if we trust him. But these shepherds would create something out of nothing. And we said that sheep don't like to get wet. Well, even when they're drinking, they don't even want to get their nose or their face wet. So out of the kindness of his heart, the shepherd, he knew this, so he would keep these stone bowls or cups filled right to the brim, filled to overflowing to make drinking easier. I mean, you talk about an incredible shepherd. So not only are the sheep dumb, but they're also high maintenance, seriously high maintenance. But if I'm honest with myself, so am I. Now, maybe I'm not quite as dumb as a sheep or, you know, but I am high maintenance. I mean, ask my wife. We've been married for 20 years. High maintenance. There's a lot of things about my life that remind me of a sheep, and I know that I need a shepherd. And this incredible shepherd that I have, this God, he is willing, not only willing, he takes pleasure in providing these things for me, providing me with rest and refreshment, restoring me to himself, providing me with direction, providing me with peace in the midst of the storm. And he does all of this with abundance. And then David ends this psalm with this incredible thought, verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd provides persistent love. Now, I was thinking of just using the word love, but it wasn't descriptive enough. It needed this word persistent in front of it, because in the original Hebrew that this was written in, that word that we now uh, interpret as follow actually meant to run after, to run after, to chase after. And this gave kind of the imagery of goodness and mercy or goodness and love being personified. You can think of goodness and love being these, these two sheepdogs or these two hired hands that are following the flock from behind while the shepherd is out front leading. That's such an incredible thought for me. 
an incredible thought that God, God's goodness and his love will pursue me, will follow me all the days of my life through the good times and through the bad times, through the times when I feel that he's really close to me and through the times when I'm not even sure I believe in God anymore. His goodness and his love will chase me down. He will follow me. It reminds me of another uh, psalm of David, another famous psalm, Psalm 139, verses 5 to 10. This is what David says. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. See, David knew the presence of God. He knew the persistent love of his shepherd. That's why when his life was at the darkest moment, his life was falling apart, he was able to write this incredi- these incredible words and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. I shall not be in want. But am I able to say that? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Are you able to say that? The Lord is my shepherd. Not, not just for us to be able to say the Lord is a shepherd or even the Lord is our shepherd, but can we get to the place where we trust him enough to say the Lord is my shepherd? And this may be the hardest thing to say right now. I mean, in, in a group this large, I guarantee you there are people here among us that have gone through the worst week of their life this last week. I mean, we have people in our church, we have a young couple who just found out their little boy has cancer, not even one year old. And the cool thing is to see their small group rallying around them. We have another group of small group leaders who just last week lost their 17-year-old to a tragic car accident. That's the valley of the shadow of death. And some of you are there right now. And it may feel like God is not there. And I encourage you to go home and to read Psalm 10. That's an amazing psalm. And it's actually one of those where David's not maybe as encouraged as he was when he wrote this. He starts that psalm by, by saying that, uh, God, why do you stand so far off? Why aren't you near me when I'm in my time of trouble? So he even felt those times when it felt like he was all alone. And when we're going through those dark valleys, when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, it might feel like God's not there. But that's where we have to put our faith in front of our feelings, not rely on our feelings, but rely in the faith of who God is. That's why Jesus tells us to accept the kingdom of God, to accept him like a little child. And that's how we innocently have to say, God, it doesn't feel like it. God, I don't understand. I don't know what I'm going through. I don't know why you're taking me down this path. But I choose to trust you. I choose to believe that you're there. He is the good shepherd. In Hebrews chapter 13 in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep who God raised from the dead. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. And he says, I call my sheep by name and they come and they follow me out because they know me and they know my voice. So if you're in the midst of one of those darkest places of your life, you're in the midst of those greatest trials, I encourage you this week, as odd as it may feel, as awkward as it may feel, lean in. Lean into the shepherd. Lean in and learn to know his voice. 
for all of us, I want to give us a challenge this week. No matter where we are in our spiritual journey, whether we've been following Christ for years or whether we haven't really begun to follow Christ fully, I want to encourage us all to just take this psalm and read it once a day for the next week. Just, it's only six verses. won't take long. But read it once a day. And as you do so, I want you to ask God to speak to you through the words of this psalm, to speak to you and to help you to learn to hear his voice, help you to learn to recognize his voice, even in the dark trials, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And I also want you to ask God to reveal to you how he's been there in times past so he can open your eyes to things that he's done in the past, how he's been faithful, and, and how uh, he's leading you even in the midst of this trial. So how we're going to end, I'm going to ask the, the band to come back out, and they're going to play a song that captures so well so many of the thoughts that we've talked about today. And as they do, I want to ask you to just take a few minutes to reflect as you hear the words of this song. Reflect on the shepherd. Reflect and ask yourself, is, is he your shepherd? Have you been able to fully trust him? Or maybe while this song is playing, you can ask him to come and be your shepherd and to trust him. Or at the very least, as you listen to this song, take a moment to rest. Let me pray for us. Father God, I want to thank you for the incredible words of this famous psalm. I thank you that it was not written at a high point in David's life. It was written maybe at the lowest point of his life. And in a sense, that can bring us encouragement. He was in the valley of the shadow of death, and you were with him. And he recognized that. God, let us have the faith, let us have the trust to choose to believe that you are there, even when it feels like you're not. God, I pray this week that you would give us courage through these words, that you would speak to us through these words. And God, we will find peace and rest in the arms of our good shepherd. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.